Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Get it warmed up there. (laughs) Me, 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 me. Got it? You ready? Ow now, brown cow? How about now, Brett? The rain in Spain falls most. (laughs) I haven't heard that one in a while. That's a good one. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Privacy Please. Cameron Ivy hanging out with Gabe Gums. Man, we got a special episode for you guys today. But uh, before we jump into and let the guest in, um, Gabe, how was your weekend, man? You doing good? Decent. Um, yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Uh, doing, doing well, man. Trucking along. Right on. Right on. Can't complain. It is, it is ridiculously warm, but apparently that's everywhere on the planet. So yep. I have nothing of particular special interest to add to that topic other than I can confirm it's hot as hell. It's hot as hell. And I, I go on walks and I can't, I can't wear a shirt. It's too damn hot. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste I'm this not, effort. I'm not, I am not mad at you. I'm not mad. I'm at not going to waste this effort. <clears throat> well, uh, we do have a special guest. His name is Alex Bovee. Um, he's the CEO of conductor one and co-founder. So we'll go ahead and let him in. <laughs> And see if I said his name right. We will find out. There he is. Alex. Hey, Hello. I'm in the, uh, hold on, I'm looking for my window. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We got, got him. It now. We caught him. Got him. How you doing, right, Alex? Was I, on the, was I on the wrong thing? No, no, no you're, you're good. Were, yeah, you were okay, fine. Cool. You were fine. You were in the waiting room. We were just getting the show, show kicked off. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, nice to have you here with us today. How are you? I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm great. How are you guys doing? Are you? Um, where are you guys located? Down in the sunny, sunshine state. Florida. Yep. Florida. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love yeah. it. I, yeah. I, uh, I moved to Jacksonville during the pandemic. I was there for Did a year. You? I loved yeah. it. Yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I know the area well. I know the area well. Okay. Do you know um, Do you know Neptune Beach? I know Neptune Beach extremely well. Yes. Yes. That's yes, where yes. we were. We just posted up. I was like, if I'm going to get locked in a house, I want a swimming pool and I want to be like there you go. two That's minutes a, from the beach. There that, is we go. Awesome <laughs> that is a very awesome choice. I was in your neck of the woods on, uh, no, what was the last federal holiday? I forget. It was Labor Day. It was one of those. Uh, Labor, uh, Memorial Day? No. Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial yeah, Day. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I was over in your neck of the woods um, back then. But uh, I, That's I, cool. Yeah, I've been in in and or familiar with that area for for quite some time now. It's pretty cool. We're way on the west coast, though. We're on the other side, where the where the the waters are a little cooler and and the waves are are noticeably absent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see it on that on that Gulf side. Are you um, Destin Panhandle, Tal- like uh, whereabouts? 
uh, Tampa area, generally. Tampa. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. It's so great. Alex. Good for you yeah. guys. We appreciate you uh, taking the time, coming on. Pleasure to meet you. We usually start the show off with just kind of having our guests tell us, you know, where you came from. What What's your question. story? Just one, just one question. Tell us oh, about. Oh, yourself. T- yeah. Tell us about yourself. <laughs> no. <laughs> are we Are we recording or uh, you just running? Oh yeah. Email, like, we're live. Yeah, we're hot, live. Okay. Hot, gotcha. Hot mic. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, so t- uh, t- tell you about myself. Um, yeah, what can I say there? I, you know, I've been in security and technology for uh, most of my career. Um, uh, you know, moved to the Bay Area roughly like 2010, sort of like right right at the beginning of uh, kind of like the SaaS explosion, like right when mobile was taking off and cut my teeth really in security at a company called Lookout Mobile Security. Um help them build an enterprise product, which is where I got like a taste for all things enterprise and B2B and really just loved it. Um, went to Okta yeah. to lead up their, uh, their security practice and zero trust products kind of all up. And that was really, that experience there was very formative and in terms of, uh, me deciding to start conductor one. So that was what, what led, what led to that outside of work. I play guitar. I got two kids. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if any of that's interesting to talk about, but uh, happy to go anywhere you guys want to. No, it's up to you. Absolutely up to you. Um, guitar. Which guitar? What kind of guitar? Um, I have a Taylor, and it's. Uh, I couldn't tell you the number, but I know my. my I picked up playing guitar during the pandemic. Uh, something I just always really wanted to do. Nice. And uh, I'm I'm kind of like a YouTube right. learner. Like when I really want to learn something, like how to make a French drain or, you know, whatever. I just go deep into YouTube. So I got really big into that. <laughs> and there's plenty of time to do it. So that was great. And, uh, yep. and yeah. One, dig a moat. <laughs> That's super yeah. interesting. I, I have one question for you. Um, <clears throat> what was your first paying job ever? Um, my first paying job was cutting grass as a kid. I was, um, Man, I had to, but it was before I had my, I grew up on a military base and you'd get an ID card when oh, you wow. turned 10 and you had to have an ID card to go to the pool. And I remember cutting, I lived, this was a Camp Lejeune. I lived there for three years and I cut grass the whole time I was there. So it had to have been between the ages of like eight and 10 that I first started cutting grass. And I would just go knock on doors and, uh, and you know, ask people if they wanted to cut their grass and turned it into a little bit of business. That was my spending money. That's how I bought Nintendo video games. I'm going to age myself here. <laughs> nice. It's okay. Uh, what yeah. was your favorite that's game? Bought, that's, how I, that's how I bought my, uh, it was a King, it was a game called King's bounty. King's and bounty. it was, I don't even know the style of game. It's kind of like this overhead mixed, uh, like kind of world exploration game, but then you go into battles. It was like it was like one of the competitors to Dragon Warrior. Yeah, it's very similar. Oh, very similar. Okay. Yeah, and then you and then you'd switch into battle mode, and you'd have these battles. It was a great game, and uh, Actually, it was just yeah, super yeah. fun. There's yeah. a lot of strategy to it. It was a really cool game. I think you'd yep. put it in the in the turn based category. You definitely put it in the turn. Yeah, category. in the turn. Yep. And right when you yep when you got into battle, you do that like Dragon Warrior style. Yeah, like that yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little more. Not that I know, but I would know. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's funny how that same format is still big today. Totally. Yeah. Just better. Yeah. Graphics. I think the, I think, I think the only, I feel like the only real like new video game format that's been invented in the last 20 years is like the massive multiplayer online game, but like yeah, so yeah. many of the same mechanics from like, even if you look back on Nintendo, like 
side to side scroll, like, you know, top day, like all those formats are still super valid and still used today. Oh yeah. Um, so tell us, tell us a little bit about what kind of got you into conductor one and what you, what do you guys do there? What does conductor one solve for? What's the problem they solve for? Yeah, well, I'll tell you a little bit about what got me inspired to start the company because then that, that leads into what we do at the yeah. product level. Um, so I was at I was at Okta leading security products and zero trust all up and and what I what I and we were just very focused on authentication, multi-factor authentication, diceware access. Yeah, and it just it wasn't lost on me that we we had all these capabilities, but you'd still see companies getting breached, you'd still see, you know, companies would have their SOC 2 and they'd be compliant from a security standpoint and still um, be in the news. They'd, and, and when you looked at a lot of those breaches, a lot of them were identity centric. Like, you know, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but it's pretty prolific. If you look at Verizon's report, I think it's like 70% or something. I'm not sure the number off the top of my head. Um, But it's just clear to me that, that securing identity was not a solved problem. And particularly as companies, move out into the cloud, you know, you sort of heard this, this trope of like identity is the new perimeter. It really is true. It's like, you have to kind of, you have to secure identities. You have to understand and inventory all of them. You have to secure them. You have to understand what your weaknesses are. And there was a, a big opportunity to solve for that, that we saw, um, both in terms of, uh, this angle of making sure people can get the right access that they need when they need it, um, securing permissions, giving you visibility as a security team, and really just automating as much of that process as possible end to end around permissions management, access management um, for companies. And then obviously the kind of the compliance driven process as well with things like access review. So we started Conductor One really with that idea in mind is we wanted to create this, this next generation of access management products, next generation IGA, cloud privilege access management, uh, you know, deep uh, identity governance capabilities um, around all the services that that they're accessing and giving an inventory of those users. So that's what we solve for. What What is the single biggest inhibitor for identities to no longer be, and this, this is a big, broad, like, vision question, but, like, how... What's the single largest inhibitor to identity being solved as the vector for attack? And yes, I'm I, asking, like, how do you make that whole problem go away? I think it. I think it, it's a little. I think it really does boil down to like a zero trust architecture at the end of the day. Um, so when you think about what zero trust is, it's it's a set of high level concepts and like first principles. And one of those is people should only get the access they need when they need it. Um, you should encrypt all traffic. You should strongly authenticate users and devices. These are kind of like first principle based approaches. You should, you should reauthorize users as frequently as possible. If, and when you look at most identity based attacks, at, you can, you can look at it with that framework and, and be like, Oh, that's where it messed up right there. You know, they didn't, they didn't reauthorize that traffic constantly. Uh, that user wasn't strongly authenticated. That user had access longer than they needed it for. And so it was an orphan account that was taken advantage of. And so I think really, truly executing on that set of zero trust first principles is how we get to a, a much better world from an identity compromise protection standpoint. I think what's hard is there's a lot of detail <laughs> when you like, when you start peeling back that onion, it's like, well, what about network access? What about um, you know on-prem infrastructure? What about cloud services? So I think what's so hard is conceptually zero trust is a very straightforward framework. That's actually what I love about it is it's like a very 
it's a very clear opinionated framework on how access and identity should be secured. It's the implementation of it that's so complicated because you have this myriad of requirements across on-prem and cloud and, you know, cloud services and infrastructure and SaaS, you know, so it's, I think that's what ultimately makes it so complicated to, to actually implement and get there. If you weren't solving this problem, what problem would you be solving? Hmm. Oh, brother, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, I really, you know, I really believe that this movement of developer and platform engineering is significant and is going to be transformative in terms of how companies do business and organize themselves. And so mm. I would pick something in that space. You know, we, we have a component of that in Conductor One because obviously managing access and authorization does impact platform engineering teams. It's like a shared concern. So that there's right. a component of that. But I would probably be doing, if I wasn't solving this problem specifically, I'd probably be doing something a little bit more targeted than that. I just think it's like really interesting and it's a great, um, it's a great trend. But I don't know, I, by the way, I don't know if the correct answer there was AI. <laughs> <laughs> the judges deducted three points, but they otherwise allowed it. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> but, but let's say you are like independently wealthy to the point where maybe, you know, your personal GDP was that of a small third world nation. Like what problem would you then be solving for in the world? Mm. It, it would, it would still be this. I mean, honestly, I, like I, my wife gives me trouble about it because, um, you know, I didn't have to start conductor one, a lot of options. And for me, this was something that you just, you very infrequently in life, I think have this confluence of events of something you're very passionate about. Mm -hmm. with a unique entry point and opportunity to the market and the ability to go execute on that and build something out of it. And, mm -hmm. uh, I felt like that happened to me. And so for me, that, to me, that's, um, that's just something that it, it, again is a unique and rare opportunity. And it's, it's really something that, um, that I'm, I'm just excited to be working on. I love that you use the big P word because we, we don't script this show. And one of the things that we always try to get to is exactly that. What's that passion? What's that thing that really gets you going? Where, where's that passion come from? Um, you know, for me, it's two things. There's like abstract. I think I, I've always just really loved technology. I, I think technology is a unique opportunity to really transform our lives and to make them better. I think too often you're, you're on the news and you're reading it and it's, technology is going to ruin this and you should be afraid of that. And it's all the fear around it. But I think if you take a step back and look at just how technology has improved our lives, it's significant and massive and has the, the opportunity to continue to do that. What really drives me and excites me about security is security is an enabling technology that allows people to use the rest of technology to the the maximum ability possible, right? So security is like this underlying fabric that just makes everything better if you execute on it well and you do it really well. And I think that's something that excites me. It's like, um, it go, it's as simple as when I used to work on authentication, for example, I used to get really kind of fired up to just see there's people that use that product that are like not sophisticated users, but it's protecting their bank account logins. And it's just like really, you know, really simple mm -hmm. <laughs> use cases like that. Right. But it's so meaningful. It's like, this makes someone's life better. Um, this really, this has the opportunity to improve people's lives across the board. And I think 
uh, you know, conductor one, we're working on authorizations, permissions management. It can feel a little bit abstract and very technical at times. But I think when you boil that down to what are we actually helping to do, it's like we're helping to make the world more secure. We're helping to make workforce identity more secure. We're helping to make companies more productive so that they can just do business and, and not worry about all these other underlying um, security challenges. And, and for me, that's that's pretty inspiring to play a part in that. I, I got one more. <laughs> That's it. Just one. Just the one. Just one. Just one. Now. Okay. Now. All right. All right. On, on a more tactical and technical level, though, like what's the what what's the significant challenge between bridging where customers have traditionally been and will largely continue, especially up market, namely on-premise infrastructure, whether that's their own iron or if it's if it's you know if they have their own private clouds. What's the what's the biggest challenge still in bridging those environments to the cloud environment? Because what I hear about are where there's breakdowns between those two things, but I am a little naive on that topic. So, yeah, the the, the big challenge is that I think sometimes, um, if I'm being honest, I think it's like vendor uh, myopicness. I think sometimes like even vendors just build for one world or the other, they'll build for your cloud forward cloud native companies, because that's, you know, a, a, like a growing segment. So they're just servicing them. But it, that was something that we, we recognized and believed in day one is like identity is messy. And a lot of companies do live in this hybrid world. They have an active directory on-prem and they have one login in the cloud and they've got yeah. all these SaaS apps and they've also got an LDAP track and, that's just like a complex world and it stinks to not have good solutions for those folks or to have solutions that you, well, you got to have this product for this thing in the cloud and you got to have this product for like your on-premise infrastructure. It just creates like this Swiss cheese of security solutions. And it's a matter of time before those cheese slices line up and you got like holes that go all the way through it. That's not, that's not good for anybody. So we really built conductor one, uh, sort of day one with this, this set of first principles of we wanted to be a SaaS control plane. We wanted to have an amazing user experience, but we, we needed to be able to connect to any technology out there. And so, you know, we just um, launched actually our hybrid infrastructure support where you can take our connectors and deploy those in your own infrastructure. You can deploy them on prem, you can connect to these different tools and it doesn't sat, but it doesn't sacrifice the user experience. It doesn't sacrifice the quick time to value because you're still using the SaaS application or SaaS control plane for deployment. And so it's really about being thoughtful, I think, and intentional in some ways on how you build out your technology, knowing that that's what the world looks like. So I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it on vendors. Fair or not. I don't know. Yeah, I just think no, that's uh, okay. Look, I hear you connectors though, man. That's, um, that is a large part of the challenge, right? Cause, cause the data is everywhere. You have to be able to get to it. And you use some interesting words there too, like being a control plane for that data, which does mean you have to be able to operate across it. Um, yep. That's ambitious. That's ambitious. I applaud you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say it's been a fun set of technical scaling challenges and, and, and whatnot to just be able to support those different customer environments and the volume. And um, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of fun things that we've uh, solved for there. So... <clears throat> I'm curious, and this could be for both of you, but obviously we've all heard of the announcement from Twitter as they're going to X and it's going to be completely artificial intelligent run, I think, from my understanding. 
when you hear something like that and you live in this realm and you you have a product that's in the security and privacy realm does that concern you and what do you think the trends are going to be over the next few years once something like more companies roll out with ai run tools um what do you think the challenges you think we're going to face as a society i guess yeah, I, I have opinions about AI. I've, <laughs> I've been in um, I've been in security long enough that I I've got like a little bit of snark and jadedness to have seen mm-hmm. all the hype cycles around marketing. So when I see company announcements that say they're reinventing things on AI, it's like okay, I've seen this movie. You know, it was zero <clears throat> trust everything five years ago. It was next generation. You know, three years before that. So we do kind of hit these hype cycles. I think. Taking a step back, AI does have this opportunity to be a very transformative technology, and it has the ability to uh, fundamentally change the way that maybe existing business processes work or the way that existing tools work. And so I think the, the real winners, I think there's going to be two sets of winners in AI. There's going to be the AI infrastructure and open source provider, the people kind of selling pickaxes, if you will, for the gold rush. And then there's going to be the companies that were already in market that had, um, you know, existing products that can kind of rethink and rebuild those products, sprinkling in AI where it makes a lot of sense. And I, I don't know exactly what, you know, X's plans are in terms of AI, but there must be great opportunities to reinvent things around recommendations, around helping you write, you know, more engaging content. Like you kind of just brainstorm out really naively a set of use cases, having not even really thought that much about it. And I'm sure you can come up with a couple of great ideas there, but I think yeah. that's, um, that's, what's going to be really interesting over the next, uh, you know, two, three years in my mind is it's, um, I kind of liken it almost to mobile when mobile came out, you know, just it hit everyone, right? Everyone's like, Oh my gosh, I got to have a mobile application. And mm-hmm. what you realized is everyone ran out and created a mobile app and, five out of the 10 mobile apps didn't make any sense. <laughs> they were just, they were just like, they were just, they were just like the web application displayed through <laughs> the mobile application. And then, you know, three out of five, maybe were like pretty cool or three out of 10 were pretty cool. And two of them were like, maybe very deeply transformative. I think AI is actually, better than that. I think AI, and because when you think about all the different things that a product can do from workflows to recommendations to, um, uh, you, you know, even just things we haven't even thought about yet in terms of like configuring your product right mm-hmm. out of the gate and like being able to make recommendations about that kind of thing. I think there's a lot of opportunity to innovate there. And so my sense is AI is going to make a lot of sense for most companies to sprinkle in there in some way, shape or form. And it's going to be like insanely transformative for a handful of companies. Yeah, I agree. Um, what do you think about on that same topic with the AI? What, what do you think about AI making decisions in terms of, uh, for companies and individuals? It, and I can elaborate if you, if, if I need to on that, but well, I'll, I'll have like a gut, gut quick uh, gut response to it. And then in terms of access control and access management, because I, I have strong opinions here. Um, yeah. When it, when it comes to things like identity and access control, uh, I'm very skeptical that companies will ever fully delegate those types of concerns to machines. Because you, you, it's one thing to have a set of rules that you can inspect 
you can very clearly inspect that you understand the output of, mm -hmm. and that's your policy and you know what the outcome is. It's very different to say, Hey, our decisions about access control go into a black box where there's a learning model and then spits out some decision. That's, that's something that's kind of hard to explain to an auditor. <laughs> mm -hmm. If you get, if you get hacked uh, or you get an account breach and your answer to that is like, well, we delegated that to a machine learning model. That's like kind of a black, that's like pretty bad, pretty bad answer. So my experience with this in general, at least having been on the authentication side of this for a long time is that people want more structure. They want more rules. They want the ability to inspect it. But I do think that in the context of access management, access decisions, people would love recommendations. They love more context. And so I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity to transform products in the access management space. If we understand the amount of human error that goes into access management, and best I can tell, cloud misconfigurations are largely a byproduct of humans, even if it is a byproduct of humans doing things like, you know, making infrastructures, code mistakes, right? Like they, these are mm. still human problems. I, I hear you and I agree that there's this pushback on, on, on the adoption side of the house to wanting the computers to make the decisions, but there feels this natural friction between we know humans make these really bad decisions. <laughs> and we know if we can remove some of the bad decision-making from the humans, we can get better outcomes. And I'm not suggesting replace said humans, but there is a significant number of these problems that we're talking about that are purely human-generated. Totally. And, like, and, like, and yet this insistence is like, no, I want the humans there. It's like, but they're totally the problem. That's, we're telling you that they are the problem. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's a question of where you choose to inject humans in the process. So we, we talk a lot in security engineering about this concept of paved roads, the idea being that you have this well-defined kind of platform engineering built process that allows you to do a thing, spin up new infrastructure, grant access, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And it's very on the rails from an automation perspective. The human in that might just be saying, I need a thing or like approving a thing that's already well-defined and built. And so I... I think it's about being strategic and decisive about where you put the human um, versus to, to kind of scratch at this like misconfiguration piece as opposed to asking the human to artisanally write all the configuration for like an IAM policy, for example, in AWS. That's very different than saying, hey, here's what this policy should look like based on what we know about it and these guardrails and these paved mm -hmm. roads we have. So hit yes if this looks good, you know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, but, so I think you can... Indeed, still the human making going in AWS. In AWS, IAM is a great example because, I, oh Lord, is, is it? There are more knobs and dials back there than the wizard himself had when you pulled back the curtain, right? Like there is. I, I call it a. It's very double black diamond. IAM. It's oh, like uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity, and you're going to get an ACL by the time you're done. <laughs> exactly. You're you can definitely tear. You can tear an ACL doing that. <laughs> so, uh, there's some sharp edges and some yes. clips on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. That's funny. Um, so when it comes to trends and your beliefs and passions, when it comes to security and privacy, what do you? I mean, have you ever thought about the next few years and? what you think might be happening or what you would like to see in our realm? Yeah. I mean, I think broadly, um, you know, at least on the security side of things and security products, I, I, again, just kind of tying together a few of, 
um, comments I made earlier about kind of platform engineering and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just even zero trust as a principle. I think what I'm really excited to see is security products be held to account a little bit for like creating more tangible value. I think that's something that's happening, particularly with like, you know, a little bit of a contraction around budgeting and, and people kind of doing vendor consolidation and, and really sharpening the pencil on the decisions that they made around products and vendor relationships is people are going to want to get more tangible value out of products. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be enough to just say, Hey, I gave you some visibility into this problem. You know, that's, that's where a lot of security products start, I think is very visibility centric problem statements. Like I could tell you this thing that you didn't know before. That's a hard, hard visibility problem at like a human scale level to inspect. Yeah. Um, but I think what, what you're going to see is a lot more companies wanting those vendors to solve it to say, great, you told me about a problem. It's even better than that is if you can solve the problem. Wait, wait, wait. What's even better than that is if you can prevent that from becoming a problem in the first place. Mm. So we really, we really built, uh, even like our first principle when we built conductor one was, Hey, let's, let's shift identity left. Like when you think about all these identity compromises happening, what are they happening because of they're happening because people have too many permissions because it's hard to get access because you're not removing access when it's no longer needed or you, you, know, you can't find orphaned accounts, like all these kind of problems. Well, how do you prevent those problems from happening in the first place? A lot of it's about automation, automating access controls, making sure mm-hmm. people um, can get the access they need when they need it. And so that was, that was our sort of first principle based approach to really making sure that we're creating value and preventing these problems from happening in the first place. Mm-hmm. You, you often reference people as part of this problem, Alex, and it is not lost on me that, and, and I may just have to to push on you further as to why we insist on leaving them part of the process. People not getting the right answers. People, 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 people. It's like, well, we should just get we should get more of the people out of the way of this somehow. Like, there's totally. a lot of people in this problem. Not that generally speaking, the problem with the world isn't people. Like, we have long understood that to be the problem, but. More, more specifically, this problem seems really rooted in people. Like the more I hear about it, the more it's rooted in people. It is. It is. It is. It is. I, look, there's no doubt that I think there's there's two pieces to this. There's the policy piece, and and policy is really about. Uh, let's. I, I keep going to identity and access management just because that's the world I'm living in. But um, you know, who should get what access? Who should be allowed to request that access? Do they need it? Like these are policy centric controls. And then the people part of it is really for exception handling or when you want a human in the loop. And to your point, you can do a lot just from policy to taking people out of the loop entirely. And that there's no reason that that can't be very fully automated for the most part. Uh, But I do, I do think, you know, there's always going to be those kind of exceptions or a place where you want an extra set of eyes on things where there's going to be like a people part of it. We would be in agreement. Exception management seems like a good place for people to be right. Like those, those decisions that are never black and white are a great place for humans not to, but all of the policy driven stuff. Yeah. I would advocate for if there's a human in your policy driven decision or just like execution process, you already have a problem, right? Like you already have a problem if you have a person as part of that process. I think that's actually a really great way of, um, of thinking about it. I know uh, there's this um, there's this Stripe post that's going around about how they added uh, the cost of meetings to all their Google calendar meeting invites. I don't know if you guys have seen this. 
Um, but just the, yeah. but the, yeah, but the idea philosophically is like a, a meeting is like a bug in the system that you're like trying to get everyone together with. And then you're trying mm-hmm. to like solve this like bug in the system. I think can, metaphorically, you could kind of think about access controls, the same thing when you need a human in the loop on something, Something's is wrong. that, is that a bug in the system? Is that something that can be uh, automated away from like a policy standpoint? And if you have that mentality, if you have that automation and kind of platform engineering centric mentality, I think there's a lot you can do to your point to actually just automating all that. Um, I don't know if this, this probably involves that uh, with the automation and things like that, but how would you say that identity access management contributes to compliance in regards to like data protection and privacy regulations, such as like GDPR and CCPA and things like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, there's a big, that's a, that's a big, um, that's a big, big question all up. I think there's definitely a, uh, how you access data is a huge part of, uh, mm-hmm. regulatory frameworks, uh, kind of across the board. If you look at SOC two, there's, you know, there's an identity and access control policy kind of right. boilerplate included in that in most frameworks. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think it's, it's pretty significant. Um, I think from a, I'm trying to think what else to say about that from just a compliance standpoint. I think one maybe just nuance to bring up is that there's, I think there's been a lot of focus on compliance over the last two or three years. Oh yeah. From a do, from a do business standpoint, like, Oh, I, you know, it's going to be hard for me to sell my product if I don't have SOC two. Mm-hmm. But I think some, there's this Venn diagram of like security and compliance for a lot of things that you have to do for security or sorry, that you have to do for compliance are geared towards making you secure, but there's a lot of things you need to do for security that are just best practices for security that aren't even necessarily in your compliance framework. And so I think, um, certainly compliance is helpful for like, you know, basic sort of best practices and, um, you know, a a basic set of hygiene around processes and tools in your, your company. But I think to actually, you know, secure your data or secure your identity and access, there's, there's a lot more you have to do there. Nice. Do you deal with, um, uh, privilege access management as well? Oh yeah, definitely. In fact, I think this podcast will come out after we launch it. We're launching it this week that we're recording it, but we, we are launching a uh, cloud privilege access management um, solution. Nice. Because uh, one of our, yeah, one of our big beliefs and sort of viewpoints is that privilege access management just fundamentally changed in the cloud. Uh, used to be about, you know, w- w- again, thinking about on-prem systems, privilege access management used to be about these like dash A accounts, dash admin accounts where they were, they were, you'd have multiple accounts for the same human user identity. One with like privileged access, one without privileged access. Mm-hmm. Um, you check in and out credentials there's just kind of a lot of these patterns. Well, in the cloud, it's very different. You have typically like a single user account. Um, what you're allowed to do is, is your authorization levels, the permissions that are assigned to you as a user. And that cloud privilege access management is really about escalating those permissions temporarily, temporarily in the context of uh, your single user identity. And so we've built a, a product that's like very geared towards managing permissions in the cloud. And, and that in particular mitigates risk better than identity access management, right? That's the potential benefit. I think there's, I think there's a lot of overlap there. So identity and access management, typically when people talk about that, they're thinking about things like 
putting all your users into a directory and SSOing your users and authenticating your users. Yeah. The challenge is that doesn't help you achieve least privilege access, but which is the, that's the zero trust part of it. It's like, well, right. If I've got 10 standing admins to my Opta account, or I've, I've got like all these jump cloud admins floating around out there, they have God mode. They can go into the cloud directory and grant whoever access that they want to AWS via SSO to assume permissions to like your production infrastructure. Well, that's a, that's a privilege access use case at the end of the day. So you really kind of had to, um, I think rethink what privilege means in the cloud. It's not about multiple mm -hmm. accounts anymore. It's really about just the permissions and the access that people have. And so cloud PAM, I think is, is goes hand in hand with identity and access management to really uh, help you achieve those least privileged goals. Nice. Got another one here for you. Got another, I'm going to throw another one at you. All right, um, <laughs> what do you, what do you think the potential risks associated with I am misconfigurations and how can, how can organizations kind of avoid something like that happening? Yeah, I, it depends on what you mean by misconfigurations, but I, I tend to think about where a lot of people go wrong in IAM is um, there's this very traditional friction between security and IT, where mm -hmm. IT traditionally has owned IAM because it's a, uh, it's a help desk problem and it's a... Um, uh, um, like a change management problem. I need to get this user, this access. I need to get them this role. I need to provision them this system. So all of that was always very help desk ticket driven to get the right. access that you need. And that's like a, that's just like a clicks and calories, like productivity problem at the end of the day. The problem is there's this balance, right? From a security standpoint, that is, well, I don't want people having access to things that they don't need. I don't want them with, production access to AWS while they sleep, because that's like a really risky level of access to have. I need to make sure that people are properly offboarded when they leave the company. So that's the security friction of it. And so when I, when I think about like I am misconfigurations um, at, at like an organizational process level, what I think it typically has impacted is that, that desire to drive productivity and to automate tends to over permission and over privilege people. There's a lot of birthright access driven that, that shouldn't be given. We've consolidated a lot of power and control behind help desk processes to even access things like production infrastructure, where that really should be like driven and controlled through like a policy centric, you know, centric framework. Um, so I think about that um, in terms of like misconfigurations. I don't know if what you were asking about was more like AWS IAM policies, but uh. <laughs> nothing, nothing in particular, just, just kind of broad. It was pretty broad. So I thought that was a great yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think there's just a lot of, um, I think that that friction and that trade-off between productivity and security has yielded, I think a lot of what we see today um, mm -hmm. in terms of like the identity compromises and it's not surprising in some ways, right? It's like people only, um, in an ideal world, again, from a zero trust standpoint, people would get just the access they need when they need it. The reality is you can't do that for every single user every day without significant automation. It takes a lot of effort to do that. Yeah, that's fair. Before we get into our last round, do you have anything that maybe we didn't touch on um, in terms of uh, Conductor One, anything that you wanted to talk about or bring up on here? Um. No, I think these are great questions. I really appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Gabe, you got anything um, else? Oh, so go ahead. 
I, I had one, but I think Alex kind of answered it in his last answer. But I'll ask it out loud anyway, which was, are there any identity problems that you would just put your foot down and say, no, those things are unsolvable. And so we shouldn't focus our time mm-hmm. here, but there. No, I think, I think when you look at most identity problems out there today, they're a hundred percent solvable. It's just that we don't have the right tools and automation in place to do it. I, I really believe that. I, I don't think that we are in a um, technology limited world with respect to problem solving. I think we're in like a creativity and execution um, limited world. Right. See, that's, that's kind of how I see a lot of security problems, right? Like we, there are these self-imposed physics limitations that we put on them, but we've designed the entire system. So we know where the physics limitations are. It's not like, it's not like the universe where we had no part in designing the system. And so it's a complete black box to us. And so I'm always curious when it's like, when we look at the system and go, Nope, sorry, some of these problems, they just, we just have to deal with them forever because (laughs) No, we, we, have, we, we have not hit um, the theoretical like speed of light. Uh, not even close. <laughs> we're not even close. Yeah, we're not even close. We haven't even gotten I mean, first gear. To, to this point, I actually think one of the I think one of the biggest challenges that security has right now is just not enough companies are thinking completely create creatively about how like a new way to solve these problems. Like I think too often I'm a, I'm a privacy can't. company. I'm a privacy company. Okay. Maybe you're reinventing it. <laughs> I think too often like these companies are just uh they're like they're they're just carrying forward the old things and then like innovating on like one little bit of it as opposed to saying, Hey, you know what? I'll put some words re- they are yeah. not incentivized to do so, right? Like I think that's a different problem. Mm. Right? They're they're simply not incentivized to do so because you know so, some of it is very much a race to the budget. And if you look yeah. at in my very professional and personal opinion, um, if you look at some industries like the uh, any vulnerability identifying industry, right? Like whether it's on the network, the endpoint doesn't freaking matter. But when it becomes a race to, I can find more things than the other guy. Yep. I don't, I don't really need to innovate on much else, do I? And still get my 5X multiple. It's like, ah. It's hard. I, I think we I think we have a dearth of big thinking right now in tech, like in terms of just not enough um just rethinking like, hey, the the way the world the world shouldn't work this way, it should work a better way and it needs this fundamental mm-hmm. new approach. We need no. to do this thing completely differently. It's a good point. I'm okay. I'm okay with burning it all to the ground and starting over. I mean, it's a little radical. <laughs> but it is hard. It's it's you know, it's easy to say that on one hand, but the reality is it is hard because you do have to pay the bills and you got to, you know, throw, if you're on the venture path, you got to raise money. You got to get customers. Yeah. Problem intimately. Me too. I do. I do. All right. It's that time. Alex. It's that, it's that last you, round. Yeah. It's that last round. You've told us, you've told us a lot of really good information, but the truth is most of our listeners fast forward right through all of the important stuff. And they just want to, they just want to hear, <laughs> they just want to hear some the real deep dark secret. So oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let yeah. the inquisitor I'm gonna let the inquisitor take you down the road. Cam Cam the Inquisitor. All right, Cam let's go. Cam the Inquisitor, I'll take it. I'm gonna spin this superhero question into something different because I think it really fits with all of us here since we're gamers in a way. Um if you could be any character in a video game, 
what would your special abilities and quest be? Mm, any character in a video game. And you can make one up too if you wanted. Yeah. I mean it's a little bit of like a like a superhero vibe mm-hmm. in that question. I would say um I would say my special power for sure would be like flying. I think that would be like pretty awesome to be able to just fly around, do whatever you yeah. want. You jump out of a plane, just you know, boogie over <laughs> to Antarctica or something like that. <laughs> and would you uh, want would you would you want to be would you want to be someone that was the only person on earth that could do that or would you want to feel like you had others that are like you oh oh, oh that's deep that, right it's just digital because it would be it, it would it would be cool to have it by yourself for like sure. a year and then i think you would get you would get a little bit lonely and bored like not being able to enjoy yeah. that with other people or another person so I, don't I agree. Know what that means. It means like I, I want like a monopoly for like a year, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then if you saw like Shazam, like that was the perfect yeah. art uh, in that movie oh, yeah. where he's like he had it on his own, and then he like gave it to all of his brothers and sisters, like a little, yeah. you know, a little bit of that. <laughs> I agree with that because like I feel like it'd be cool if you were on a plane and you did something like that and people freaked out, but you were able yeah. to just do that, but you'd also get really lonely. Kind of like yeah. it makes me feel for that. Uh, what's that show? Um, the the boys or whatever the boys oh that's Gru- a, I watch that gruesome, when I'm on the, I watch that when I'm on the rower that's my rower show yeah that <laughs> one's it, it's so good though um, it's dark yeah I do like those dark those dark shows it's very dark comedy yeah it is it's very dark um let's see if you could make your own signature ice cream flavor what would it be and what would you put in it mmm well, I, uh, my favorite ice cream is Rocky Road, so I'd probably nice. riff on that, and I would probably, uh, I would probably pull back on the, um, I don't know, I think pull it walnuts or something. And I'd probably pull back on the walnuts. I'm not a big walnut fan, and I'd like double yeah. down on like peanut butter, and oh, I'd call yeah. it, I'd call it the Bovie Road or something like that. The Bovie Road. <laughs> I like it. Cobble Road. The not so the cobble, the cobble, the, the yellow. Oh no, I call it the Yellow Brick Road because I put all these like Reese's peanut butter cups in it. Guys, see oh, what we just did right there. God. Oh man, someone's gonna copy that. Now I need. Now I need that. I will gladly have someone else produce that. <laughs> I call it. I call it the Yellow Brick Road. No walnuts. Double down on Reese's peanut butter cups in it. God, yeah. You had me at peanut butter cups. Those you are, had me a peanut butter cup for real, for real. Yeah. I could eat any ice cream with that. Yeah. Um, what's the what's the silliest or most unconventional fear that you have? Oh, silliest or unconventional fear? Being late to things. I have uh, mm-hmm. I have nightmares about being late to stuff, and it all started in my undergrad when I I missed a final in chemical engineering one hundred and one. Because still, I thought it was. You still have that dream, don't you? Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't still have that dream, but it's a. Uh, it's been. There's been like derivatives of the exact same dream. Oh, like, oh my god, I'm gonna miss that thing. <laughs> it, ha- it it has to be stemming from that experience, though. I totally. Yeah. Totally. I just. I don't like. Mi- I don't like missing things. I don't like being late to things. Allow, I, allow I just, me to help. Forgive yourself for that. It's okay. Chemical engineering yeah. is so far behind you. It is okay. You can go yourself for that moment. It's all right. I'm 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 past it emotionally. It doesn't keep me at night. But I will say it, it stuck with me in terms of like, oh, you know, it's not good to like miss things. I don't want to miss stuff. That's fair. That's fair. Um, that's a good answer. 
because I think we all have those in one way or another from one experience that you can't quite, you always have it and it's very similar and it feels familiar, but it doesn't seem, I don't know, you can't figure out where it's coming from or, but it's probably coming from that, that experience that you definitely don't. My, mine is actually sure too early to my mm. M, to my ME class at a make it. That's the recurring dream there. <laughs> oh, and you make it. That's a, that's a twist yeah. on it. Yeah. You know what they say, you know what they say about um, showing up early. They say nothing makes you late like being early. Because <laughs> you, you show up fifteen minutes early, you're like I got time to go get a coffee. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get tired. Five minutes past the hour, you're walking in late. <laughs> never that would be me. At the airport. You've got you two hours early at the airport. You're like, I got time. Then oh, crap. totally. Oh, that's one. That's one that I have. Uh, that's one that I. I wouldn't say I have anxiety about it, but uh, I hate missing flights. I hate it oh. too. No, and it's and I'll be at the I'll be at the flight an hour early if I have to. I just I do not like missing flights. Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. I I will say uh, I, I'm. I've always been kind of like, I've been okay with time and, and it's not, and I understand like growing as I've grown, gotten older, I understand the respect of time for others and things like that. But I think I also kind of grew into, and I don't, I'm sure other people are guilty of this and I'm okay to admit it, but I've grown into the rush of trying to be on time mm. and being in a hurry, if that makes sense. Mm. Like you get a rush out of it and I hate being late as well. And when I was in high school, I would hate to miss classes. I wouldn't skip. I wouldn't do any of that kind of stuff. But I get some kind of a rush from some way or another from being hurried to get somewhere yeah. because of time. Does that make sense? Just being, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Just being like internally motivated. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little endorphin kick. Like, ah, oh, get, get to same, that thing. Same with, yeah. Like when I have a work, like if I'm going to work out and I have to do something and I have to make it faster, I actually mm -hmm. enjoy those more because it, I'm totally. Like, I'm not taking my time through the workout. I'm getting through it and then getting done. And I feel more motivated, I guess, which is interesting. I, but. I, I share, I don't know if we're scratching at the same thing here, but I definitely share this feeling of, um, I don't mind. And in fact, I would say I seek out high pressure in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't mind being in the, in the cooker a little bit in the crucible of challenge. Like I'm okay with it. Like you can actually do, I actually do, I actually do better in those situations in weird ways. Like you almost Maybe. crave that pressure. Cause it a little bit. gives you like endorphins you and fo like focus. It just really focuses you. I can uh, focus yeah. super well. I can really just power through things. Yeah. Man, that's interesting. That's fascinating. All right. One more for you. Cause we're taking up plenty of your time. Um, if you could switch your life with a fictional character today, who would that be and what would you do in their world? Mm. A fictional character can't be a real character. It can if you want. Um, I would switch with, uh, I would, I think it would just be really like someone like Marcus Aurelius or something, you know, where like you, he like lived comfortably, but he had a lot of responsibility, but it would just be awesome to see like ancient Rome back in the day. This is a little bit of a weird answer. Maybe it's not something I, I think too much about. <laughs> like, who does it's okay. Been, but, Came to your mind. Um, yeah, that would be, I think that would be pretty cool in a weird way. Yeah. I think so. Too. Just living in, living in ancient times, seeing what that was like, but doing it comfortably. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Because yeah. the thing is, yeah. even the most comfortable of them, mm. by our standards today, not so comfortable. 
A hundred percent. I saw um, they dug up uh, in a. Uh, it was like a tomb in Egypt, and they they were talking about this report was saying how they could tell that this person was extremely wealthy because they were buried with a bed, and the bed looked like oh, wow. a camping cot. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and I was like, wow. So this is uh, that that was as comfortable as it got back in the day. It was yes, like a fold a fold out right. camping yes. cot. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my gosh! Speaking of uh, like a little bit in the past, I. I saw Oppenheimer on Saturday. Oh, nice! And it was no spoilers. I don't know. I don't want to know if they build a bomb or not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can say is that one of my favorite movies is The Dark Knight, which is done by nice. the same guy. And I love Killian Murphy, the actor. And there's everybody else in it was fantastic. But I just if you guys ever get a chance to go see it in IMAX, go do it because. For them to pack in what they did three hours to make something just a drama about a about what you know what it's about, yeah, it was so like I was just you, it's impossible not to be so like in like st- stuck in it like uh, yeah just I don't know if you've ever seen like something like a very uh, like a drama that's very chaotic if that makes sense mm-hmm. like a Succession on HBO. Mm-hmm. Where it's just very, it's like a drama, but you're just so the the way the camera sh- angles are, the the way the music is done, the way that it just sucks you in, and it's just, I was so lost through a lot of the movie because they had so much dialogue that goes back and forth in time through different scenes, and it's just it's so much that goes on that I it I don't know it just it was fascinating it was really cool, um, so if you're into stuff a, like that I recommend yeah I'm it. super into it it's it's on my short list. Uh, you mentioned Killian Murphy and you mentioned Dark Knight. I will always remember him as the scarecrow in that movie. Oh yeah, I, it's I don't know why. I just it was such a memorable performance that I every time I see him outside of that, I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna blow some dust in my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, he's 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 definitely gonna win an Oscar for it. I think there's no way he won't. It was yeah, cool though because they awesome. incorporated. Um, I know that like they incorporated a something that wasn't really true, which was his relationship with Einstein. Hmm. And they kind of made some things up to make it more engaging, which I thought was really cool. Like hmm. they showed like conversations between him and Einstein about a theory and uh, numbers and stuff that kind of scared Einstein in a way. Um, and I, I read that that wasn't really true. So, but I heard that they hmm. did have a relationship, but I just thought that was fascinating. I didn't, I don't know. Just cool. Yeah. History, history is amazing. I love it. I love history. Yeah. So Alex, I appreciate the the time, man. I really do. Um, and the listeners I know will probably enjoy this a lot. Um, so thank you for coming on the show and really appreciate it. For you thank you guys for having me. This is a ton of fun. Yeah. Before you sign off, where where can our listeners find you on mm. the uh, the centralized or decentralized web? Is the case maybe? <laughs> oh, good question. Well, I was going to give a shout out to we have a we have a podcast as well called the All Aboard Podcast. They can hear okay. me there. We we okay. interview IT and security folks. But um, there we go. I guess centralized web, <laughs> like the old school web, old school <laughs> web point five. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Awesome. Well, well, we'll be sure to I'll put those in the show notes too with your podcast and the company's info. Cool. And uh, thank you so much for for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. See you guys. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support. 
and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.